0: i want you to open your bibles with me today to the book of second samuel and we're going to go in a few moments to second samuel chapter one we're going to go to second samuel chapter nine as we're kind of walking through again this sermon series on David chasing after God's own heart, like how we can be that kind of a person that David was represented as in scripture and talked about as being a man after God's own heart. And this is not a sexist uh, sermon series you can be a woman after God's own heart. And it's equally as important. And it's also equally as big of a call on your life as well. We men, women, young people, no matter our age, no matter our status, no matter where we've come from, all of us have called been called to be men, men and women after God's own heart. And that's what we want to be. The problem is we live in a culture today that is doing everything that it possibly can to keep us from being that. We live in a culture today that is constantly pulling us further and further and further away from being men and women after God's own heart, which tells us, reminds us that if we're going to actually be that kind of a person, that we have to lean into it. That it takes some like deliberate steps. It takes like, like significant steps in making that a reality. And that starts, as we talk about often, it starts with the word of God. I can tell you, I can guarantee you, I can promise you that if you want to be a man after woman's, uh, a man or a woman after God's own heart, you cannot be that if you are not also a man or a woman of the word of God. You've got to spend time in the word of God, because I believe, and I, I pray that you believe this as well, that this Bible, it is the word of God. It doesn't contain the word of God. It is the word of God. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is inspired, it is breathed out from God, from the heart of God to the heart of men so that we will know how to live, so that we will know how to act, so that we will know how to walk, so that we will know how to react in a Time and in a culture in a world today that is constantly pushing against us constantly pulling us away from truth And you know that we do live in a culture today where truth is not only being redefined Truth is being like pulled out of the air Like truth is something that is not you know, like nuanced and 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 changed just a little bit like truth today is being invented And you cannot invent truth Truth is truth, and it has always been truth, and it can never cease to be truth, but it also can never be new truth. Like, and we live in a time today where people are trying to constantly redefine everything. Well, I want to encourage you today and help you understand today, according to God's Word, that truth is found in and through the Word and the heart of God alone. And that is what we must base our lives on. That is what we must walk in. And that's what chasing after the heart of God really looks like. And so last week we talked about David. We talked about like the challenges when the storm approaches, if you remember, if you were here. And we talked about how Saul was seeking after, uh, to kill David. That David was literally running and hiding in rocks and in caves. He was hiding himself away from, uh, from Saul and, and thousands of Saul's soldiers as they sought to kill him and, and they tried to find him. And, and in that passage from sir, first Samuel chapter, oh, I don't know, 18 to about first Samuel chapter 28, we find in those passages, 11 or 12 times where David almost lost his life to Saul and his soldiers. And so over 11 or 12 times during that time, like he was running and running and running. And we talked last week about how like when the the storm approaches, like trust God. Like when you're in the midst of that kind of a storm, like you can trust the hand of God. That God will never take you in a situation where he will not also give you everything that you need to come through. My dad used to say it this way, God will never put more on you than he puts in you to bear it up. And so that's what we talked about last week. But today, what I want to talk about is a kind of a continuation of that uh, season in David's life, that time in David's life that really is kind of a representation in David's life of the fruits of the Spirit. You know the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, right? Verses 22 and 23, it says that love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and, you know, all of those things that we read, faithfulness that we read in Galatians chapter 5, are the fruits of the Spirit. And it says in that passage in verse 23 and that there is no law against that. In other words, what that really is saying is like, hey, God wants you to have those as an exhibit, an example in your life. And so today what I want to do is talk about like how in David's season of running for his life, how he was an example of the fruits of the spirit. Because I can tell you this and promise you this, that if you want to be a man or a woman chasing after the heart of God, you can't do that without also being an example of the fruits of the spirit in what you walk through. Of like making sure that you are exhibiting to the world love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and patience and faithfulness. And by the way, if you can get those right, your life is going to be a whole lot more fun to live. If you can actually like incorporate those into your journey, man, it's going to change the narrative of your life. Love and joy and peace and and patience and gentleness and kindness and, and faithfulness. And so today that's what I want to spend a little bit of time talking about. Now, we talked again last week out of 1 Samuel chapter 24. David's running for his life. And, and, and in the, the time after that season, after that moment where he was running for his life, we, we read throughout the rest of 1 Samuel, going all the way down to chapter 31, like this constant back and forth, all of these things that are happening in the nation of Israel. We see all of the challenges that David was facing as he was facing battles. We see the the, the challenges that Israel was facing under the leadership of of king saul and all that they went through and then we find ourselves all the way down to first samuel chapter 31 where it tells us it Saul, in battle that he was killed in that passage, it tells us that, uh, that the enemy defeated them, and Saul's sons were all killed, and then Saul was killed, and then it says that they took their bodies, and they actually hung their bodies uh, there on the wall of Bethshan, which today you can actually go and visit. I was there, Scott Bowman and I were there just a few weeks ago in that very place, in that the excavations of that old city where, where Saul and his sons were, were hung on the wall after they had died. And so in throughout that season, we we see in David's life that God is still doing a work on him and preparing him and allowing that picture of the fruits of the Spirit to be active in his life. And so today what I want to do is kind of take us through a couple of passages. I told you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter one. We'll be there in just a couple of moments, but I want to learn, just help us learn like three things from that season in David's life to help us figure out how we can chase after the heart of God through the fruits of the spirit at work within our lives. And we see during the season in David's life that despite the attacks by Saul, David was always willing to forgive. Forgiveness is a key component of living after the heart of God. Now, you don't need to turn there, but let me go back and read the passage in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now remember now, this is in that time where 11 or 12 times David was running for his life from Saul. Saul tried to kill him 11 or 12 times. And then in that one time, we talked about it last week, if you remember. So David was hiding out in the cave in En Gedi, right? He's hiding there in the cave. He's you know, running for his life. Saul traveling down into that area down in the Negev near the Dead Sea looking for David. And he had to go to the bathroom. And so, like, obviously, for many of us who have you know, been on road trips, we've been traveling down the highway, traveling down the interstate, you know, after a, you know, a little bit of time, you want to pull off the road and go to the restroom. Like for, you know, for me, it's always an excuse. Hey, I need to go to McDonald's, get another Diet Coke, right? It, it's been 48 minutes. It's time to stop again. And so, like, we we know that journey. We know what that looks like. Well, Saul had the same thing. That same thing happened, you know, 3,000 years ago. There was no difference. And so it says that Saul stopped off. He got off the interstate there down in En Gedi, and he, he went into the cave to go to the bathroom. And as he went into that cave, David was there. David could have killed him. David didn't. You remember the story. After Saul left the cave, David made it clear to Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Because I know that you are God's anointed. I know that you've been chosen by God and I will not going to do that. Even though you're trying to kill me, even though you are chasing after me. He was an example of forgiveness. Look what happened in this passage, 1 Samuel chapter 24. In verse 20 and following, it says, Now I know for certain, Saul speaking this to David, I know for certain that you will be king. And the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. Therefore... David, swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So Saul is basically saying, "Okay, I I, white flag. I I give. I I know you're going to be king one day. I know that you've been anointed by Samuel. I know I'm not going to be able to kill you, even though I'm going to keep trying. I know it's not going to work. And so I know that you're going to be the king. And because I know that you're going to be the king, just, just promise me this. Like, like don't wipe my entire family off the map. Like, don't kill them all. Because that would have been a thing back in those days that the following, the next king, would have done to the previous king, right? But look what it says in verse 22. So David swore to Saul. And uh, so David swore to Saul. And then Saul went back home. And David and his men went up to the stronghold. So what did Saul ask for? Hey, listen, promise me, you won't wipe my family off the map, right? And it says, so David swore to Saul. David had every reason to say, you got to be kidding me. And when I become king, I'm going to wipe out everybody in your family. I'm going to destroy all of you. I'm going to burn down your house. I'm going to take all of your stuff, and I'm going to keep it for myself. I am going to destroy everything there has ever been. But in the name of Saul, they will not even remember your name because I'm going to wipe you off. That's not what he said. When Saul said, hey, just please remember my family. And David exhibited here a picture of forgiveness, even though Saul was trying to kill him. And David said, you got it. I'll take care of it. I'll do that. Why? Because he knew that Saul was God's anointed. And he knew that he had a responsibility, according to the word of God, to do as God commanded him to do. And that is to show and to be an example of love and joy and peace and faithfulness and patience and gentleness and kindness And he does that here through forgiveness. That passage very clearly tells us, like, this is what you're supposed to do. And by the way, it's what you're supposed to do, too. It's what I'm supposed to do. And I know that because in Matthew chapter 18, Peter went up to Jesus and he said, "Uh, So, Jesus, let me ask you a question. So there's this guy, and he lives down the street from me. And he is an absolute jerk. I mean, he, he drives me nuts. He's always picking on me. He's always creating problems. He parks his car so I can't even drive in the driveway like I want to. When he mows his grass, all the clippings come over into my yard. Like, I mean, this guy is not a good guy, Peter tells, says, tells Jesus. And so he says this. So, Jesus, let me ask you a question. Like, he's driving me nuts, and he's, I, I want to I get back at him. I want to take him down. So how many times do I need to forgive this guy? Seven times? Now, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that Peter, like, for seven different times, Peter had given this guy a pass. And now we're up to number eight. And now Peter's like, dude, you are going down. I'm going to take you out. I think that's what Peter probably was thinking at this moment. And he says, so how many times do I need to forgive this guy? And in Matthew chapter 18, you know what Jesus said? No, 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 It's seven times. Seventy times seven. Seriously? 70 times said have you seen this guy Jesus right and by the way let me ask you a question do you have somebody in your life maybe like that right I'm not asking for a show of hands nor am I asking you to look at the person sitting next to you like right here right but Jesus said no you've got to forgive over and over and over and over again why because we are most like Jesus when we forgive because I can guarantee you this: you have disobeyed God more than seven times in your journey. I can guarantee you that you have walked away from the plan and the, 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 the path, the will of God in your life more than seven times. And aren't you grateful that Jesus is the one who said, no, no, not seven times. like 70 times seven. And by the way, that is not a mathematical equation that he gives to us. Jesus is not saying 490 times. It's not what he's saying. So, like, if you're at 490, you're still good, okay? Because Jesus was actually using that as hyperbole, like, basically saying, like, a million times over, show forgiveness. And aren't you glad that that's what Jesus does for us? And so that's what we learn here in David's situation. Like, man, David had every right to show revenge. He had every right to take him down. But yet, here he gives us this picture. This gives us a beautiful picture of the fruits of the spirit being exhibited in his life. And like, no, 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 man, I'm going to show forgiveness. Saul, listen, I know you're trying to kill me, but I'm going to honor your request. I'm going to forgive you for what you've done. And I'm going to honor you for the rest of my life. Man, what a powerful message to all of us. And so he teaches us here in that passage, like despite the attacks of Saul, like he was willing to forgive. But not only that, he also taught us something else. And this is something else like, that all of us like, really struggle with. David also taught us throughout this season in his life that he would not celebrate the fall of his enemy. That he would not celebrate when his enemy fell. Look what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 1. I ask you to turn there. We're going to go to verse 11 in this 2 Samuel chapter 1. It says, well, before I read it, let me just kind of set the context. Let's set the stage here. So remember now, <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter 31, Saul is killed, Right? And so we read that passage in 1 Samuel chapter 31. Remember the passage where you know, Saul was injured and he didn't want them to kill him, so he asked his armor bearer to kill him, and the armor bearer said, I can't do that. And so then it says that Saul fell on his own sword, right? You remember that story, right? Everybody remember that story? Okay, so that's what took place in 1 Samuel chapter 31. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, David is in Ziklag and he's there after he had been in his own battle. And he, when he's in his own battle, he sees this guy running towards him uh, from a distance. And this guy approaches and he looks like torn. He looks like he's had a rough journey, a rough time. He looks like he'd been in battle. He'd been traveling a long way to get to David. And he said, well, where where are you coming from? And the guy tells him and he says, well, what's the report? What are you trying to tell me? And and he says, I just want to tell you, like, like Israel has lost the battle. And not only have they lost the battle, but Saul and his sons are dead. And David's like, well, how do you know this? And he, and he tells a story that how Saul was there and injured, and Saul asked him to kill him, and so that he himself killed Saul. Now, there's a little bit of discrepancy between 1 Samuel chapter 31 and 2 Samuel chapter 1. And when you see these stories, they're like, oh, wait a minute, now how does that make sense? Like in one, Saul fell on his own sword, and in 2 Samuel chapter 1, it's a picture of uh, that he asked an Amalekite to come in to kill him, and the Amalekite did. Here's what I firmly believe, because if you look in the life of David, David was told in this season like, to destroy the Amalekites. That's what God told him to do, and not to let them even survive. And yet this Amalekite comes and says, hey, listen, so I I killed Saul for you. I believe that Amalekite thought he was about to bring some good news to the king. I think that Amalekite was pretty excited because he's sitting there thinking like, hey, I get to go tell David I killed his enemy. And I think he was doing that not for the purpose of anything else other than to save his own skin. Because he knew that in that situation, David should have and could have and would have killed him because of the, the call that, uh, that God had placed on David's life to destroy the Amalekites, right? So that's what was going on. And so he comes, and he says, listen, I killed, I killed Saul. Man, David, you're gonna love me. I'm your man, I'm your guy. Give me a job. Like, I killed your enemy. And we'd read this passage in verse 11. Let's read what it says and what David did. Second Samuel chapter 1, verse 11, Then David took hold of his clothes, and he tore them. And all the men with him did the same. They mourned and they wept and they fasted until the evening for those who died by the sword. For Saul, think about those words for a moment. David mourned, wept, and fasted because his mortal enemy Saul was dead. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? He mourned for Saul and his son Jonathan and the Lord's people and the house of Israel. And David inquired of the young man who had brought him the report. Where are you from? I'm the son of a resident alien. I'm an Amalekite. And David questioned, how is it that you were not afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? At this point, that Amalekite probably is getting a little bit nervous. Like, I wasn't expecting that question. And then David summoned one of his servants and said, come here and kill him. And the servant struck him and he died. For David had said to the Amalekite, Your blood is on your own head because your own mouth testified against you by saying, I killed the Lord's anointed. A natural response for every single one of us in this room when an enemy who is trying to attack us, trying to take us down, trying to hurt us, trying to gossip about us, trying to criticize us, trying to make fun of us, trying to get us fired, trying to get us kicked out of our, you know, out of a job situation or, or having a hard time in class, the bully that's there. Like the natural response for all of us would have been when that happened to rejoice. Yeah, baby, Saul's dead. I knew it, man. I'm the last man standing. I made it. I won, saw loss. This is awesome. This is incredible. That is not what David did. David mourned and he wept and he fasted. And you know why that's so important? Well, hey, let me read this passage to you. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 17. Solomon writes, don't gloat when your enemy falls and don't let your heart rejoice when he stumbles. Or the Lord will see and be displeased and turn his wrath away from him. Here's the lesson we can learn from David in this moment. The lesson we can learn is just simply this, that when your enemy falls, don't gloat, don't celebrate, don't rejoice. Why? Because that displeases God. David taught us that even when our enemy fails... That's not an opportunity for us to celebrate. It's an opportunity for our hearts to be heavy because we've seen once again the situation where someone who is not honoring God has paid dearly for their decisions, dearly for their missteps, dearly for their disobedience to God, and that should grieve the heart of men just as it grieves the heart of God. Don't celebrate when your enemy falls. David teaches that a very important lesson for all of us because if we don't learn that, the natural response is like, man, ha, I beat him. Yes, got him. Good. And that displeases God. So let's see what else David teaches us during this season. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, just flip over you know, a few chapters there to 2 Samuel chapter 9 because we learn here that David was willing to honor his promise he was willing to honor the promise that he made to Saul and to extend kindness to the, king, uh, to the, hurt, no, the king's family, to the hurting. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3. Listen to what it says. So the king, this is now King David. Okay, So King David now has been, uh, has been uh, anointed and appointed as the king of Judah. Is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? And Ziba said to the king, There's still Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 4, after Saul and Jonathan had been killed, uh, the nurse who took care of this little baby was running out and, and dropped the baby. And the baby was, was um, crippled because of that. And so it says, There's still Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. The king asked him, Where is he? And Ziba answered the king you'll find him in Lodibar at the house of Machir son of Amiel so king David had him brought from the house of Machir son of Amiel in Lodabar and Mephibosheth son of Jonathan son of Saul came to David he fell face down and he paid homage he came to David listen to me with fear he came to David expecting i'm the last one of Saul's household i'm about to be killed I'm about to be executed by the king because I'm the last one of Saul's family. And so he came and he fell face down and he paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, I'm your servant, he said. Don't be afraid. David said to him, since I intend to show you the kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all of your grandfather Saul's fields and you will always eat meals at my table. And Mephibosheth paid homage and said, what is your servant that you take an interest in a dead dog like me? I think in your Bibles, you ought to underline or highlight that simple statement, that question that Mephibosheth asked David. That question that he just asked, what is your servant that you take an interest in in a dead dog like me? And why should we highlight, underline that verse in our Bible? Here's why. Because that's the same question that you ought to ask God every time that you talk to him. What interest do you have in a dog like me? Why would you care about me? God, I'm a sinner. Man, I've blown it so many times. I'm a loser. I'm awful. I have disobeyed you. I've dishonored you. I'm not at all worthy to be in the presence of God. God, what interest do you take in me? Here's the interest. Because David taught us, and as an example of the love, and the grace, and the mercy that God shows to us, In that when we were not worthy, David said, I love you anyway when we deserve to die, that David said, I'm going to honor you and I'm going to take care of you and you're going to eat at my table. You're going to be a part of the king's household because it's a promise that you've made. The lesson that we learn from this is this. Yes, man, we don't celebrate when our enemy falls. Yes, we always forgive, but we always, always, always show Mercy and grace. Why? Because God has shown it to us. So, a couple of quick applications before we get done. The first one is this We will always face attacks in life, but the heart of God always calls for forgiveness, not revenge. The heart of God, if you're going to chase after the heart of God, it's always called for forgiveness, not revenge. Let that be part of your story. The second thing, don't seek the destruction of your enemy. Seek the transformation of your enemy. That's evangelism. That's the gospel. Man, don't seek to take your enemy down. Seek to take your enemy with you into the presence of God share the gospel with them, live it out, be an example of it, prove to them that being a follower of Christ, you're different than they are. You're different than the world so that you can point them to Christ because that's the only hope that we all have. Third thing, never lose sight of how God showed grace to you when you were were considering how to deal with those who've hurt you. When you're trying to get back, when you're trying to take that person down, when you're fighting against somebody who's been attacking you, always remember the grace that God showed to you, and it will change the entire narrative of how you deal with them. You will treat them differently. You will treat them with respect. You will treat them kindly, no matter how much they disagree with you, no matter how much they've hurt you, you will treat them kindly. You will treat them with respect. And you know what you will be doing? You will be showing the love of Christ in that situation, which, by the way, is exactly what God has called every single one of us to do. So can we learn from David in this season of life? Like, how do you deal with this? Absolutely we can. And basically he taught us this. He taught us love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and faithfulness. He taught us how to live out the fruits of the Spirit even when you are under attack. That's a lesson we all need to learn. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for, Lord, once again through your word, how we see and know that in a world that is gone crazy, in a world that is difficult, in a world that is full of challenge. God, that we can still live the right way. God, none of us in this room have faced the attacks like David did. And yet we can learn from David that in the attacks that we do face, God, that we can honor you above all. So God, I pray that you would help us to do that. God, I know that for us to be able to do that, it starts with a relationship with you. We can't chase after the heart of God until we've invited you into our hearts. And so God, if there's someone here right now in this room that has never come to that moment, I pray that in these moments of invitation that you will bring them to you. God, that you'll help them to make the decision. I believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died and that he rose again. Save me today. I pray that will be their prayer. And God, for that, we give you the praise. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, our team is gathering here. We're gonna just close with a song this morning. A time of invitation. We're gonna stand in a moment. And when we do, the altar's open. If you need to come here today, and you need to seek forgiveness today because you've not been showing forgiveness to others. Man, maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you want to come and meet Christ today. Our team is here. We would love to talk with you about that. We love to introduce you to that one that can give you everything that you could ever hope for. Maybe you want to come and join our church family or come for baptism, whatever God is speaking to you today. Maybe you just want to come and kneel here and just pray and just say, God, thank you, God, for the mercy and grace you've shown to me. So, whatever it is, let's stand together. The altar's open, and I encourage you to step out right now. Charles? I know
1: who goes before me, I know who stands behind the God of faith.
0: God, today we thank you that you're always by our side. I pray that today that we will live out the truth of your mercy and your grace and your love and your forgiveness in everything that we do. And God, for that, we give you the praise, the glory that you give us the ability to do so. And God, we thank you for the gift of your son who changed everything. And it's in his name that we pray today. Amen. Hey, before you leave, the altar remains open. We'd love to talk with you. And Elmer Towns is sitting right over here. Elmer this Friday turns 90 years old. So happy birthday to Elmer Towns. God bless you and have a great day.
1: Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.